Welcome to Living the Dream Outdoors, the official podcast of Living the Dream Outdoor Properties. We live by the motto, it's not just land, it's a lifestyle. And we live the outdoor lifestyle every day. Whether you're a landowner or dreaming of joining the ranks of those closest to the earth, we're your brothers and sisters of the outdoors. We hunt, we fish, we're stewards of the land, and our Living the Dream team will show you the way to enjoying the land and all the outdoor pursuits it has to offer. Here's your host, Bill Cooper. Welcome to Living the Dream Outdoor Podcast. We're your host, Bill Cooper. And I'm Hunter Heineman. Hey Hunter, man, it's always good to have you on the on the show, man. You've been uh, you and your dad are quite the outdoorsman. You guys been running all over the country and the world in the last month or so. But uh, man, you've had some great adventures yourself. I know your dad went to Africa and you didn't make that trip, but uh, you've made some good trips since. And uh, you spent some time in uh, Nebraska turkey hunting. I, I was up there, gosh, probably ten years ago with uh, Ray I in a media camp. And uh, man, I never seen so many turkeys in, in my life. That was that was a pretty astounding uh, trip. And I think that there were seven or eight of us, and I think everybody in our group took a turkey. I did wind up killing a Jake. I caught some uh, heavy flack about that, but uh, hey, at least I tagged <laughs> a Nebraska bird. But uh, I I had called in a big. Miriam's gobbler about 600 yards across the kind of grown-up pasture field but we were experimenting with some new chokes and uh uh boy didn't fit my shotgun well it shot oh yeah high and to the left or right and uh called this gobbler in to like 20 yards and missed him <laughs> oh no yeah yeah that's no fun we had a pretty we had a pretty good trip we ended up driving up there and uh, went with my dad and we um each got uh well i got i think my dad got two and i got one so um they were all rios i was going up there to try to get a miriam but it just didn't didn't pan out that way for us and sometimes when those birds just come in you you can't tell really what's what until after you're sitting right there behind them sometimes because <laughs> A lot of times they're kind of almost a, a hybrid too, but I was kind of going, I wanted a just full bred Miriam, but we didn't see quite a few of them just uh, could never close the distance, you know, to them or have them come into calling, but kind of a different ball game up there than it is here back home. You got to do a lot more uh, <clears throat> sitting and waiting. <laughs> yeah. Um, you can do a little bit of walking if the the terrain would allow, but there's just not a lot of cover or, or uh, timber up there. So um, where we were at anyways, out of Lincoln, Nebraska. So we just did a lot of um, sitting and, and waiting in fields and uh, whether it was a cornfield or um, some type of agricultural field or a pasture, that's kind of what we did. Um, but the cool thing is with those birds up there is that, you know, with there not being a whole lot of timber, there's not that many places for them to roost. So a lot of times you find a good tree line along a creek or, or something like that, you know there's a good probability in the afternoon they're going to be hanging around those roosting areas with hens and go there to roost. So um, 
we typically hunted around those in the afternoon as well. And we had a crazy experience with about four to five, uh, Rios out in front of us, right. Be- you know, right before they were getting ready to go into the roost. And I've never heard so many gobbles in one afternoon <laughs> in my life. It was, it was pretty crazy. They just, once one sounds off the whole, you know, every bird on the farm would just <laughs> gobble at each other. So. Yeah. Well, that makes that makes for some exciting times and great fun for sure. Well, you you're talking about the lack of uh, roost trees. The place we were hunting in Nebraska was on the Platte River, and a lot of cottonwood trees along there. And uh, I I don't know the guy I was hunt, hunting with. We were out kind of scouting around one one day, and boy, we found a huge flock of turkeys turkeys like that even like 100 125 of them still grouped up and and they were roosting in the cottonwood trees so we went back the next morning our whole party all seven or eight of us went back over there and these guys got some phenomenal uh video footage of uh, uh a huge flock of miriams on the on the roost and flying down and all that and then we managed to kill a couple more that that morning so man that made for an exciting exciting hunt well guys Ask you, Hunter, who killed the bigger gobbler, you or your dad? Uh, me. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm going yeah. to double-check your facts here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check with him, too, and make sure you're telling the truth. <laughs> yeah, we we got to get him back on here uh, on the next one and talk a little bit maybe about his trip to Africa. Um, oh, absolutely, man. I'm that would to, be awesome. Yeah, I'm wanting to hear all, all about that. I've never been to uh Africa, but uh, I used to read a lot of that stuff. Uh, Robert Ruark, you know, Teddy Roosevelt. Boy, they could tell some wild tales about Africa. Uh, I won't have to compare notes between what your dad experienced and what those guys experienced because those guys could tell some hair-raising tales, you know, <laughs> about. Oh, uh, yeah, he had a couple pretty crazy <clears throat> little run-ins with some games, so uh, I'll have to get up here and tell us about it. Oh yeah, we want we want to hear it from the horse's mouth, you know. We don't want to give away all these smoke and thunder. You know? Yeah, <laughs> but but you guys, uh, the morning got home from the Nebraska, and you turned around and uh, took off to Oregon for a for a bear hunt. Now in in Oregon, can you buy uh, bear tags over the counter? Was that a draw, or what was the situation out there? Yeah, you have to you have to put in for the tag and do a draw, but it's pretty likely that you will draw one if you do it. And, uh, those tags, um, you know, it's pretty affordable if you're going to do it, um, just from out of state as an out of state hunter. It's, I think like I bought two turkey tags and a, and a bear tag and it was like less than $300. Um, yeah. And I bought it like pretty much on the last day that you can put in to draw a bear and I still drew for one. Um, I did pretty much the same thing last year as well and uh we hunt on about 1100 acre ranch um outside of medford oregon and it's a really good friend of my dad's garrett zoller that's uh with land leader and uh he's the director of land leader and does an awesome job with that for us um on the business side of things but through that my dad's gotten more and more involved and um he's on the board of directors as well and helps with all of that and helps Garrett a lot and uh, they've become really good friends and so have all of we now and uh, he hasn't been kind enough to let's go up there and hunt for the past two years so we wow. um, 
talked Lucas into going this year, and uh, <laughs> he um, he had some success. He's never shot a bear and never shot a turkey. Um, so, anyways, uh, he ended up harvesting both, which was awesome. He got a nice Rio, and then he got a, a decent black bear. And uh, <clears throat> anyways, um, it was a pretty pretty interesting. Um, deal. I kind of went up there this time just to help him out and make sure that he had a good experience and could get some uh, <laughs> first harvest, you know, off of his checklist. So you, um, you bet. I saw some of the photos on Facebook. He looked like a pretty happy lad. <laughs> oh yeah, he was. He was super excited. And I'll tell you, kind of why? Because it was a very interesting week that we were up there. Um, the very first day we hunted, you know, with bear hunting, it's a little different. You can wake up really, really early if you want, but, and go out and hunt. A lot of people kind of prefer to hunt them in the afternoon, like three o'clock till, you know, right before dark. Well, um, we had, Garrett had been getting some bears on cameras and some pasture fields and places, um, kind of around cattle and, and some stuff like that. And, He's a really big on managing his property for um, blacktail deer. And black bears, he was saying, eat about 10 fawns per bear, like every spring. So wow. they, they can really put a hurting on the deer population. So he, he's big into that. And uh, we don't mind going up there and helping him shoot a couple <laughs> bears every spring. Um, but you can't hunt them over bait up there, um, which kind of throws another, um, I guess, trick in the bag. So it's not as easy as just sitting over one little spot, but right. kind of what we did the night we got there, which was Monday, we just kind of drove around and his buggy got familiar with the ranch again and kind of spotted some areas. He's got some areas where you can see as far as a thousand yards, um, so we spotted a really nice bear that Monday. Um, but we did end up going Tuesday morning to a spot where he had the most amount of bears on camera going through an area. So we set up um, there and he called it uh, Papa Joe's <laughs> is what he called it. And it's a little field. Um, it's got a bunch of clover in it, stuff like that. Um so anyways, he had like three or four on camera up there and we sat up there that morning while we went, we got in a little late. We sat down at like maybe seven o'clock, um, or seven thirty, something like that. Um, so it'd been light out for already an hour, but we got up there a little late. We were a little jet lagged <laughs> and, <laughs> <I imagine>. uh, <laughs> yeah, we got in there and we just had these nice little turkey lounging chairs, set them up and kind of tucked in in the brush and and uh hunted that way and uh well it was kind of a interesting experience i never had this happen but me and lucas were sitting there we had been for probably three and a half hours at this point and we were both getting ready to probably head out of there at about 11 o'clock well all of a sudden <laughs> lucas heard something and he turned around and he turned around back at me with his 
eyes about <laughs> the size of two gumballs. And he was, <laughs> he goes, there's a bear right behind us. And I'm like, well, how close? And he goes, I don't know, like 25 yards. Oh my. And I said, I said, well, turn around and shoot it. Cause I don't want it that close to me either. <laughs> and so he, you know, we both were kind of like, Oh my, startled. And uh, I tried to turn around and look at it. And he, about that time was galloping over the hill and he was gone, but it was a cinnamon bear. So we were really hopeful at that point that, you know, already on the first day we had at least seen a bear. Um, so anyways, we didn't see any other bears until Saturday, uh, or no Friday night. And we were leaving Sunday afternoon. Uh We didn't really plan on hunting Sunday morning. So, uh, Friday night came around and uh Garrett had seen this bear in this power line uh actually Thursday driving around again and so we decided we were just going to watch this power line cut and there's you know some wildflowers and clover and and things that grow up in there that I guess they just mill around and kind of eat um and I think they just like that open area um so we set up there where we thought, you know, we were quite a bit on high ground, um, looking down into a bowl in the power line cut. And, uh, sure enough, about 250 yards at about six o'clock at night, one come walking in there and it looked to me like a pretty big bear, but Lucas got his, uh, his gun on it and, <laughs> He was pretty worked up, I could tell. <laughs> and I just told him to take his time. And, you know, one of the things, actually, the bear went into the woods and disappeared for about 10, 10 or 15 minutes. And we just both were kind of, like, at that point, defeated and didn't think he would come back out. And uh, he popped back out about 10 minutes later. And um, he got broadside, and Lucas made a shot. I had my binoculars on him, and I could just tell he hit low and left and I didn't see that bear bite in himself or do anything like that like they do when they get hit and he took off quick um so he was pretty beat up by that so we went um (laughs) back there Saturday and nothing in the morning and we went back that night and uh you know the last night so coming down to the wire typical stuff (laughs) and uh this time he popped out at about 100 yards and kind of quartered into us and lucas didn't waste any time and put one 308 right behind his shoulder uh bear took off running real quick and um we didn't hear any of the death moans or anything like that so we went back to camp got my dad and garrett drove back and uh we were looking for blood and really can't find any. Um, this is the second year. My dad shot one last year and he put one perfect in behind the shoulder too and had no blood at all. Oh, um, Garrett said supposedly when they get hit, if it's a bear, big enough bear, they're kind of fatty and greasy. Well, what? sometimes that fat can actually plug that wound, right. keep them from bleeding. So I guess that we ended up finding blood, but it was very, very little. Um, 
<laughs> and so basically we ended up <clears throat> just kind of fanning out and trying to walk in the direction that we saw him running off in. Uh-huh. And the funny thing was we found him like 200 yards over to the right in the opposite direction than I saw him last. Really? So, he kind of circled. I don't know I if he, yeah, he just did like a circle. And my dad happened to walk down a trail and it was just a wide open trail. And he thought, well, maybe he went that way. And it's a pretty easy open area to walk through if you're hurt. And it was laying right behind a tree. Um, kind of actually in the open, but it was just tucked in behind the tree. And, uh, yeah, that, that made our, our, <laughs> our, uh, positivity go way up after oh, that. Oh, it, it always down. does, man. I, I bet Luke was excited. Was it a pretty nice bear? Uh, I want to say it's probably about a, um, 200 pound bear, something yeah. like that. But, you know, in Oregon, that's pretty, pretty normal. They don't, mm-hmm. anything over that is a pretty, substantial bear for there so those ones me and dad got last year were monsters um like they usually just don't yeah, see that i but. remember that yeah you know i've been bear hunting a couple of times in new brunswick in the area we hunted their average bear uh killed out of the camp we hunted in it's like 125 pounds i killed one that's like yeah. 175 wow if, if i'd had to estimate it and you can hunt over bait up there and when it came out uh, we were in the thick, dense woods, but had shooting lanes, and barrel came out to the barrel all 150 yards away. Well, man, I would have guessed that bear three or four hundred pounds. You know? Oh yeah, well that's believe me, that's what when that bear came out. I think I got on that second time. I think I got more excited than than Lucas did, and he wasn't that real big one that we saw the very first night. But yeah, uh, nonetheless, it was his first bear. So I mean. There's nothing wrong with it. I've killed a lot of bears like that. And again, you're helping out um, the population of other animals um, that that are up there that just get yeah. <laughs> eaten up by them. So, oh, um, oh yeah, it sounds like fun. a great, great, fun time. Now, I got to ask you have, you: have you guys cooked up any bear yet? No, no, we haven't. We, we went ahead and left that all there at the camp. So. Yeah, well, boy, I, I've got a great recipe for bear, and I absolutely love bear. I like to take like a seven or eight pound uh, roast, and I put a rub on them that I use, let it sit overnight, and also inject them with apple juice, and I wrap the whole thing in bacon and put it on a slow smoker, and that mm-hmm. that size roast I cook eight to ten hours, but every couple hours I, I put more apple juice in it, and then yeah. Eight or ten hours of that bacon, you know, the the uh, fat that's in the bear will kind of drip out, and you kind of absorb some of that bacon grease into the meat. And even cooking that eight, nine, ten hours, slice into it, you know, the center of your your ends are are usually pretty well done. But the interior is like a, a medium rare, and it, it's as good as any prime roast beef I've ever eaten in my life. Absolutely love it. Well, man, it sounded like y'all had a fabulous trip. I'm a little bit uh, envious, and, uh, you know, I need to go bear hunting again because I, I, I had a bear skin rug from uh, Canada, New, New Brunswick, and somebody got in my house and needed it worse than me, so they relieved me of my bear skin rug, you know. So I, at some point, I need to go get another one. But, yeah. Hunter, man, 
what what a great time and uh it it's you you guys are really fortunate and i know you realize this you got friends through the uh, real estate industry that uh, you hunted on but isn't that one of the great things about working for living the dream outdoor properties i mean you guys across the country deal with some of the most gorgeous properties i've ever seen in my life and you sell properties help clients buy properties lots of outdoor people involved so i'm sure you guys get the opportunity to just meet some grand outdoor folks and this sounds like one of them yeah yeah the garrett's great and there's an awesome camp post and it was just a, a good good time overall and a great experience and you know <laughs> he was talking about uh next year maybe <clears throat> Instead of focusing on bear, we could come up a little earlier around February uh, when the mountain lions are running around oh. during their breeding time and try to call one in and harvest one of those, which would be awesome for me because I've never done that either. Uh, so. Yeah, that probably make your heart rate go up just a little bit. But uh, Oh, my gosh, yeah. Well, now you're into another phase, you know, uh, starting to – plan for another adventure for next year and you know what it's like you spend months and months and months anticipating what's coming and that's yeah. a big important part of the experience hey we need to take just a short break here but don't, don't go away we'll be right back with more living the dream outdoors podcast Slow down and enjoy the simple things in life. Welcome to Huzal Valley Resort, providing family fun since 1979. They offer floating, and you can choose from canoes, rafts, kayaks, and inner tubes on the beautiful, crystal clear Huzal River. Lodging, let us be your home away from home. Choose from a variety of lodging units while still enjoying the great outdoors. With over two and a half miles of river camping on the crystal clear Huzal, we're sure you and your family will find the perfect spot to pitch your tent or park your RV. Have fun and let us help you get the most of your stay. Check out our guided trail rides and Karen's Cafe menu. There's something for everyone at Who's All. There's a campground store on site that has everything you need for your trip, whether you're in need of gear, grub, or something else. Chances are they've got it. And their campground has RV sites and primitive sites for all your camping needs. If you like the adventures of camping with a cozy bed at night, we have a variety of different lodging units to choose from. But Who's All Valley, there's always something going on out there. Check them out on Facebook, or if you want to make a reservation, simply call 1-800-367-4516. Hi, guys. Rick Day with the Cowtown USA. Here from Cowtown USA Superstore these days. And, and you might say, what do you mean, Rick, Superstore? Well... Pretty much whatever you want to do outside, we sell, we service, and we service everything we do sell. We've got, uh, for this year, new lines of tractors. The slogan is selling you red tractors, saving you some green cash. We've got Yanmar tractors uh, that are coming out of Houston. we got uh, Mahinda tractors that are coming out of Georgia. We've got all the equipment as far as tillers, rakes, buckets, cutters we've got it all to go with them we've got some great financing i know financing stupid now but the manufacturers are offering some zero interest and some rebates you know so there's some choices to be made in there 
We've got K&M, ATVs, UTVs, and, and that's as low as 1.99. Then we've got the K&M Spiders out there for you. We've got K&M Rikers. We first started doing K&M 25 years ago. Nobody had ever heard of them. Now everybody understands that they are the best equipment on the market. We've got that, and for the first time in a couple years, we have got some choices for you. So, but but that won't stay that way. If you want something for this spring and something that you want to ride this summer and this fall, you need to get to Cowtown USA, that's for sure. Then we've got uh, the, the marine side of this. We picked up Mercury, we picked up Suzuki. We've been Legend SS for 25 years, which in my opinion is one of the best aluminum uh, jet boats on the market. We picked up Blazer boats the other day, another all-welded boat. We've got some of those in inventory as well. And, and here now for the sixth year in a row, we are Missouri's number one horse trader dealer. We are Murhouse number one horse trader dealer nationwide. But we've got Murhouse, we've got Lakota, we've got Calico, we've got Bayos flatbed trailers. I mean, guys, we pretty much are, well, the sign says Superstore. So you can come here and shop. Whatever you want to do, we can do. Uh, so give us a call here at Cowtown, 573-885-6300. CowtownUSAINC.com is our website. But give us a call at 573-885-6300. Thank you. Hi, I'm Nick Darling with the Conservation Federation of Missouri. CFM is a nonprofit organization with the goal of ensuring conservation of Missouri's wildlife and natural resources and preservation of our state's rich outdoor heritage through advocacy, education, and partnerships. This time of year is always a great time to get outside and enjoy the outdoors with your family and friends. Like so many others I've met, my father was the person that introduced me to all the amazing natural resources Missouri has to offer. He taught me so much about the outdoors, and to this day, one of my favorite things to do is to go to do outdoor activities with him. Whether it's camping, fishing, kayaking, or hunting for morel mushrooms, I always have a blast, and I always learn something new from him. If you have a similar story, consider gifting your father a membership to the Conservation Federation of Missouri. With Father Day, Father's Day right around the corner, now is a perfect time to show your appreciation to the person who introduced you to the outdoors. For just $35 a year, a CFM membership comes with a subscription to our bi-monthly magazine, voting rights for our elections and resolutions, and the option to become more involved in advocacy for Missouri's natural resources. To purchase a membership, visit confedmo.org slash join. It's time for Conservation Notes with Missouri Department of Conservation Deputy Director Aaron Jeffries. Hi, this is Aaron Jeffries with the Missouri Department of Conservation. Hey, just want to talk to you a little bit about private land assistance here in Missouri. Uh, Missouri is rather unique in that we have an army of staff that are devoted to helping landowners manage their property for fish, forest, and wildlife. With 93% of Missouri in private ownership, the key to conservation success is private land habitat management. So I would encourage you as a landowner to go to the department's website, look up 
on the upper right corner, there's contacts. Go to your county, find out who your private land conservationist is, and set up an appointment with them. They'll come out, visit your farm, kind of interview you, see what you want to accomplish, whether it's forest management, deer or turkey, or if you're interested in quail or grassland birds or wildflowers, and they'll help develop a plan and even help identify cost share for you. So, again, go to that upper right corner of the department's webpage, www.mdc.mo.gov, and look up your private land conservationists. Steve Stoltz is a world-class turkey hunter. Here's this week's turkey hunting tip. Hi, I'm Steve Stoltz with Woodhaven Custom Calls, Mossy Oak Camouflage, and Jury Outdoors. And here's my turkey tip for the week this week. Incorporate more realism in your turkey calling. Whether you're calling with a friction call, a mouth call, tube call, doesn't make any box call, slate call, doesn't make any difference. Proper turkey rhythm is what does make the difference. Let me give you an example. If you have a box call and you're running a box call and you run it with this type of rhythm, that's not proper turkey rhythm. Slow the call down. Listen to live turkeys. There's all kinds of information on digital media, internet, on Jury Outdoors, Gearcast. There's all kinds of information you can find real live turkeys calling and, for that matter, professional turkeys turkey callers actually running calls slow that call down to a proper turkey rhythm like this this is the same call i just ran turkeys have the same rhythm no matter what call you use now i'm going to do that same thing with a mouth call proper turkey rhythm is the key doesn't make any difference if you're raspy sweet somewhere in between Run good, proper turkey rhythm. And here's with a mouth call and just yelping with proper turkey rhythm. Add more realism into the calling and you'll increase your success in the field. What I mean by realism, instead of just yelping, add some plucks, some little cuts and add more excitement to the calling, like this. Right there, I just added more excitement, more realism, and you'll get better results when you add realism in the turkeys. Again, go back and listen to to the digital media that's available out there to get those live turkey sounds and add that realism to your calling. I'm Steve Stoltz, and that's your turkey tip for the week. Welcome back to Living the Dream Outdoors podcast to that first segment. We had some great fun listening to Hunter Hyman talking about hunting turkeys in Nebraska and hunting bears in Oregon. I'll tell you, Hunter, you're living the dream, man. Got to do it while you can. Of course, you're a young man. You still got to a lot of decades ahead of you to enjoy a lot of great outdoor adventures. Well, Hunter and I, in the next few minutes, you're going to talk about a subject that'd be near and dear to you, Ozark bass fishermen. You know, uh, boy, uh, Memorial Day just passed, the black bass season op- 
opened on the Ozark Stream. Squirrel season opened, so a lot of people are out chasing bass now. But you know how it is here, boy, in, particularly in June. We had a lot of it in April and May. You get those uh, kind of surprise thunderstorms that pop up and we get them all through the summer and uh, man when we're chasing bass uh, on a regular basis there's nothing more heartbreaking to have a big thunderstorm come up and the river starts to rise and muddy up the water you know because we love our clear free-flowing ozark streams where we can fish for smallmouth largemouth bass goggle eye in some cases trout but a lot of people, and I've seen this over the decades, Hunter, a lot of, a lot of bass fishermen really get discouraged by high, muddy water, and it keeps a lot of them off of the water. Now, I'm not talking about fishing during flood stage. That's a different different story. You've got to use some common mm-hmm. sense and watch the weather and, and check the uh, river flows, you know, before you get on, on the water. But there are some uh, – I've caught some of my biggest bass on Ozark streams – during uh, high water conditions when the water is discolored or even quite quite muddy. And a friend of mine, Mike Jones, down on 11 Point River, it's been, gosh, probably 10 or 12 years, but I fished with him. But Mike's a guide, and he used to always say that uh, the best fishing, best fishing he ever enjoyed on the 11 Point River was when the river was about two foot high and muddy because uh, bass quite often moved up into the weeds and that sort of thing, and uh, he just he flat knew where to find them. But uh, some tips the, that'll help people with the muddy water situation. First place, you got to decide to go. <laughs> you know, just get it in your mind. You're going to go regardless. And uh, I know you uh, live right over on the Huzal. <laughs> do, you, do you get down on the Huzal fish very often, Hunter? Uh, I, I do. I'm, I'm going to make a point, uh, this year to go down there, um, right here on my farm. Sure. I can go. And, uh, of course this is the upper who's also, they're not, <clears throat> not as much for huge fish. Uh, yeah. There's more like just little pockets where there might, you might be able to throw your bait in and catch two or three and then go to the next little pocket. Um, sure. you betcha. there is small mouth in here, but, uh, yeah, I, I'm going to make it a point to actually go out and <clears throat> try to enjoy that um, oh, you'd... A, a lot more than <laughs> when I have been, at least maybe I can get <laughs> home from work and go from right before dark, you know, in the summer and hang oh, out on the Some of the best time, best time to go, man. Well, no. uh, of course, you're very familiar with Corey Cottrell. I've fished with him over years, one of the best smallmouth fishermen I know. And I've always told mm-hmm. Corey, I go over and put in a tariff resort to Huzal Valley there sometime and float down to Scotia about six miles. But I've always said I go to the Huzal when I'm looking to catch a lot of numbers of smallmouth. Now, uh, there, and there's some big ones in the Huzal. Corey was with me one time when it's about high noon. We was getting ready to take off a hot summer day. And I pick up an ultralight rod with a little, almost like a beetle spin, yellow and black, threw it way back up under an overhanging maple tree, and the water just exploded. And, of course, that lasted about all of two seconds. I think I had a two-pound line on that little rod. And Corey <laughs> kind of fell back to his seat. He said, you see that fish, man? It was it was 24 inches long. I mean, it was a huge smallmouth. I mean, That's awesome. 
Well, I've been crying about it ever since, you know. But uh, (laughs) uh, I floated one time by myself in a kayak. In fact, Huzon Valley was not putting canoes on the river, but I talked to him and let me put on because I I wanted to fish this high, muddy water situation. I never caught so many smallmouth on a Huzon in my life. I fished... uh, uh, now let's talk about baits for a minute. You know yourself that uh, in that high muddy water, you got to throw something that those fish are going to see, hear, or feel. You know, and a spinner bait is a classic bait for this kind of situation because those blades are going to uh, thump and send out vibrations, make some noise, and uh, hey, in dark water, what what kind of colors do you use, Hunter? I, uh, I like even sometimes in the clear water, uh, just a straight black four inch Berkeley power bait worm, or you could use the same thing with, uh, black and blue flake. Um, great color. Yeah. I really like on any river that I fish, um, is a, is a baby brush hog. And there's two versions that I use a lot. Um, and I just, you know, <clears throat> I think I use like a little two-op hook. Yep. And then uh, I put uh, that brush hog on there, uh, do a weedless rig, and then with a bullet weight at the top. Um, and it's a weedless rig. And uh, there's a baby brush hog. Yep. And I'm going to say it's a, maybe a four to five-inch bait. And then there's one that is a tiny baby brush hog that's like more like a three and a half inch bait so if you're looking to catch more numbers use that tiny baby brush hog because more of the smaller fish can grab a hold of that but even with the baby brush hog that's more of a probably four to five inch bait i've caught some numbers on them too um but it looks kind of like a combination of a a um maybe salamander worm um lizard type i guess bait and sometimes it can even imitate like a crawdad if when you're bouncing it off the bottom so you bet that that that's a great bait and i got i gotta tell you one of the largest smallmouth i caught on the hoozal was on that three inch uh brush hog the water was a little high and murky but uh it was during the spawning season and i could see a big smallmouth uh, female right on the nest and i flip that uh, tiny brush hog right onto that nest and of course uh you know they hate salamanders because they're they are uh bass egg eaters big time and a fish will often grab them just to crush them and kill them but they'll grab them and swim off the nest and attempt to spit them out well by that time i'd set the hook you know and and caught this big female and but immediately put her back in the water but that is an absolutely phenomenal bait but uh the dark colors, I like black and chartreuse. Uh, I throw crankbaits that color in, in dark waters. And also the skirt on a spinnerbait, uh, I'll use that color. And I like I like gold blades uh, mm-hmm. in the muddy conditions. So, uh, now, when, you, um, when you're fishing, like when it's a little bit high water, do you mainly go like in an, in an area where it would normally be like a pretty decent current running through there, do you tend to go fish the, 
the slower areas, like the bigger pools where the water, I mean, obviously it's going to be moving through there quicker, quicker than normal, but like an area where normally on a normal day you're floating down and there's just a slower moving body of water. Um, do you tend to go to those spots or the spots that were already great fast moving? Yeah. Great, great question, man. Uh, in this high muddy water, the bass tend to go to the banks because, uh, if, you know, that high, faster water, a lot of times the habitat or the structure gets disrupted or blown out, and uh, mm-hmm. fish are going to spend a lot more energy staying that super strong current. So I look for eddies, and I look for these back bays as, as well because of fish. And if you're going into an eddy or a back bay, if you've got a point sticking out there, don't ignore that point because there's a kind of a break line of the current there for uh, smallmouth, particularly big smallmouth, smallmouth will often hang out. And another thing is if you, you know how it is in the Ozark Mountains here, you can get a rain upstream that's coming down the, the main course of the river and muddying up that water, but you may have little side creeks coming off. They're still crystal clear. Right where that clear right. water hits the muddy water is a great place to fish. But, yeah, to answer your questions, I look for that slower water, and any time I float in a kayak and fish a lot, uh, and anytime you can get off in that slower water, I even carry a little anchor sometimes just to hold me down and really work that right. cover out because that's where a lot of those fish are going to be. And I'm telling you, this is a great time of the year and great conditions to catch your biggest bass of the year. Uh, I caught, It's been four or five years ago. I was on a Merrimack, and the water was up and uh, a little bit and, and pretty stained. But you need to go bigger with your baits, too. I throw a lot of soft plastics, and I, I love those HD craws. And I caught a, a largemouth in a back bay back up under an overhanging tree again and tossed a big crawdad up under there. And uh, as it was sinking, I'm sure it made a big silhouette. And I, I caught and landed a 23-and-a-half-inch largemouth, one of the biggest ones I've ever caught in the river systems. But, man, the conditions were just absolutely perfect. But another thing to remember when you're working those uh, – uh, back bays and, and eddies, uh, I like to keep two or three rods rigged, you know, and, and I use that spinnerbait quite often to find fish because I cover more water, you know, uh, quickly. And sometimes I'll catch the first one on a spinnerbait, and then I change to those soft plastics and slow down just a little bit. And, man, oh, man, mm-hmm. is it ever fun. Uh, yeah. But, I think it's important to yeah, make notes of a lot of that stuff that you pointed out like what when you start catching fish in that area if you have two or three different baits tied on you know what were the conditions in that certain spot was it shaded was it fast moving water was it more still was there more covers and weeds or a tree hanging down in the water you know and then what bait worked in those areas and then as you're going down the river just make note of that and and keep using those baits that worked in those certain areas. Oh, exactly. And I love, I shouldn't tell this on my, myself, but uh, if I'm on these rivers in my jet boat, you know, I'll keep six or eight rods rigged, man. And 
Like you yeah. said, from past experience, you see a piece of cover or an area that uh, you know has held fish before and caught them on a particular bait. Man, you just pick up the rod that you need and, and fire away, you know. And uh, it, it's a great tactic. But I, I like even when I'm in those slow water areas, I like to work the, the water from top to bottom. And I have even caught some big bass on uh, buzz baits on top during these kind of conditions. But, hey, I, I don't throw those baits very long. If I don't get a strike, then I'll start dropping down right. the water uh, column, throwing yep. that stick bait or that crank bait, and then go mm-hmm. all the way to the bottom, man, throw those. A lot of people like to fish a jig and pig. Up. I'm not as big on jigs as I used to be because there's so many wonderful soft plastics out there that, uh, yep. hey, uh, you can wear yourself out changing changing baits if you <laughs> wanted to. <laughs> right. But, yeah, there's the jigs I don't use much on the river either. I mainly am um, about the uh, <clears throat> soft plastics as well, and then top water baits. I love like a jitterbug, oh, black yeah. one, uh, or uh, uh, Zara spook on the on the uh, river is what I've found good for top water. But I like using those too, like to kind of start out with, and if you don't get anything really quickly with them in the area, then I tend to switch right over to that soft plastic and work in deeper water. So, You bet. I'm a big fan of the yum dingers, you know, and the five-inch length come in a rainbow of, of colors. But I tell you, on our Ozark streams, I've had great luck with a color called Mardi Gras. And just recently, I tried a new color called Camouflage. But I use those. I use green pumpkin a lot. I like green pumpkin with a chartreuse tail and that black and blue Man, uh, that's yep. become yep. A, almost a go-to for me. If I can't catch them on all other colors, I almost always catch them on the on the black and blue. Well, as a last note here, we'd like to uh, be sure and encourage you to remember on these high, muddy waters, safety comes first. Uh, if you're in a kayak, be sure, even if you're in a jet boat, be sure and wear that uh, PFD, that personal flotation device. You know, sadly enough, we have drownings every year. Uh, on our rivers, and I was just down on Current River a few weeks ago inducting Mark Van Patten in the National Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame, but I listened to a uh, a paddling presentation down there, and a park ranger made the statement that they have about three drownings a year on the Current River, and they're almost always people who have are not wearing that PFD, and they've never had a drowning of anybody wearing a Class 3 PFD. So look that up. Hey, educate yourself and be smart about getting on these uh, rivers, especially when they're high and muddy. Hey, I'm uh, Bill Cooper for Hunter Hindman. Man, we are enjoying our outdoor dreams, man. We're outdoorsmen, proud of it, and uh, spend a lot of time in the outdoors. So we encourage you, too, to live your outdoor dreams. Captain Brian Wilson runs one of the tightest boat fishing operations in the business. Stainwater Boat Fishing operates out of Jerome, Missouri and the beautiful Missouri Ozarks. They cover most Ozark streams and lakes. You haven't lived until you've searched Ozark waters during the night with Stainwater Boat Fishing while looking for giant gar, carp, and buffalo. Captain Wilson also runs a second boat on Taney Como Lake. Call today to book a trip with Stainwater Boat Fishing at 573 573- 
573-263-8016. Again, that's 573-263-8016. Be sure and shoot straight. fishing on the Lake of the Ozarks. Look no further than Big Ed's guide service right there on Lake of the Ozarks. Big Ed Franco has been fishing on Lake of the Ozarks most of his life and has been guiding for almost two decades. I've fished with Big Ed had a great time. He's a lot of fun and certainly knows where the bass live. You can call Big Ed to make a reservation at 573-692-6710 or go to BigEdsGuideService.com. And on the flip side of his business card is Bass and Baskets. That's a bed and breakfast that he and his wife, Deb, also run right on the banks of Lake of the Ozarks. You have a beautiful place to stay, great meals, beautiful outdoor decor, and you can walk right out the front door, get on Ed's bass boat, and head out to fish. You can call for the bed and breakfast at 573-692-6737 or look them up at BassandBaskets.com. The Live in the Dream Outdoors podcast is brought to you by Live in the Dream Outdoor Properties, The Fly Rod Journals, SmokerBuilder.com, Cowtown USA, Westover Farms, Scenic Rivers Taxidermy, Stained Water Bowfishing, Scenic Rivers Guide Service and Tours, Huzzah Valley Resort, Pico Lures, Devil's Backbone Outfitters, The Fallen Outdoors, Ledco Sinkers and Lure Company, Turnbow Outdoors, J&J Charters, Kaufman Cove, Alaska, Big Ed's Guide Service, Bean Creek Game Calls, Misty Mountain Guide Service, ASO Guides and Outfitters with Ryan Walker, On the Hook TV, and Rich's Famous Burgers. Land ownership is the American dream. Land is the basis of all life. Our wise use of this most precious of resources ensures the survival and growth of free institutions and our American way of life. At Living the Dream Outdoor Properties, we value the traditions and freedoms that land provides us. Every day we seek the solace of a mountain sunrise over traffic jams and smog, the calming silence of a bubbling stream over the sirens of the city, and the quiet of the countryside over the hustle and bustle of the world. We hunt, we fish, we farm. We live off the land. It's our mission to help our clients live out their dreams on the land as we do. At Living the Dream Outdoor Properties, we believe that it's not just land, it's a lifestyle. Join us five days a week on Living the Dream Outdoor Podcast as the Living the Dream Outdoor Dream Team explores the most desired outdoor properties in the Midwest and whisks you away to incredible hunting, fishing, and outdoor recreation opportunities. Host Bill Cooper, an inductee of the National Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame, will be joined by members of the Living the Dream Outdoors team each week as they tell tall tales unveil tips and tactics, and rub elbows with some of the biggest names in the outdoor world. You'll also find the Living the Dream Outdoors podcast on your favorite social media platforms, including Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok.